open your Bible to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, in the Pew Bibles, that's page 1169, 1170. And we're continuing our working through the letter as a whole, but in this section about the relationships of submission and authority in the church, and, and really this is working out the peace of Christ on earth. And we're going to focus on the verse 23 uh, to 4-1 in there, chapter 3, but I want to read the whole context to hear the word of the living God starting at 315 and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest... They become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Please pray with me. Lord, your prophet Isaiah called out how beautiful are the feet of them who bring good news. And you have brought good news to us across miles and oceans and centuries. We're the beneficiaries of people who gathered in this room 25 years ago. We thank you that you have championed the glory of your son, that you have, that you have sent out his scepter into the world, gathering up his people as dew from the dawn by your word. And this we ask. Father, that by your spirit, your word would display to us the Lord Jesus. Would make him known. Make us rich in him in all his benefits. And like him for his glory. 
Hear our ears. Hear our heart, Lord. Give us your word. We pray in his name. Amen. Preaching a sermon about slavery on July 3rd is a little odd. It was unintended, but I did not avoid it. Paul's words are God's word for his people and the world. And frankly, in light of the rich liberty that has been cherished in our nation, it's valuable for Christians to be sobered and convicted by these inspired words. Here again, bond servants obey in everything. Those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I know this sermon could provoke offense because I'm not going to speak about slavery being sinful. Next week we will look at 4.1 and the topic of Christians owning slaves. Now this might outrage you, but Paul lived in the midst of a slave economy with many slaves coming to faith in the Lord Jesus. And he exhorts them to obey their masters. We'll talk about owning slaves next week. For the moment, look, being a slave is not sinful. You just heard Paul adorn the lowest with words of honor, serving the Lord fearing the Lord, an inheritance, a reward. Freedom is preferable, but not crucial. Paul says to slaves in 1 Corinthians 7, 21, and listen, do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. I think that's rather shocking. I think what's really impressive is that he could say something so clear with one sentence and not a lot of explanation. In the ancient world, slavery was the result of disaster. Your city had been conquered by a foreign army, or your parents abandoned you as an infant, or you'd fallen into absolute poverty and debt. This is what you did before bankruptcy law. In the Roman Empire, kidnapping was a crime. And enslaving free persons was not openly tolerated. You see, Roman slavery did not have the rigid character that racism built into it in our country. In the first century, slavery was not a practice of discrimination. It was a result of an indiscriminate disaster. I know, none of you are enslaved. But the point of this passage only assumes two things. You know the Lord Jesus, and disaster happens. Christians here, you are urged to live like a good slave for three reasons. Your master is not far away. Your master does not forget you. 
free from your master. This is easy to reject. You could say, I'm not God's slave, I'm his adopted child. Or, I'm not Jesus' slave, I am his bride. I can imagine that a black man might be grieved by my words. Is this a needless offense? No, this is God's word without embarrassment. Yes, his child. Yes, his beloved. Yes, his slave. Hear Paul from Romans 6. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Paul is unembarrassed to speak of the calling of the Christian as slavery. Now, of course, God is unlike any earthly master. They are human. Still, however much slavery triggers you, you cannot reject it. Listen, hear the simplicity of Romans 6 as he summarizes. Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification. Yes, there are differences between God and earthly masters, but this is not just an illustration. Slave and master are earthly terms, earthly realities, but it does not blunt the point. Slavery makes sense to faith in Christ. end of our passage in 4.1, Paul says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Slaves and masters and every Christian live under a master in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this comes from the fundamental call to live by faith at Colossians 3, 1 and following. Hear it again. You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. See at the right hand of God. Set your things on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. How do slaves and masters and Christians live obediently? They set their minds on things above. Christ's victory that rescues you from condemnation and the power of sin. Why do slaves and masters and Christians obey? They are seeking on earth the things that are above, where Christ is seated in victory. They are seeking his victory in your lives today. Your submission and your authority, they flow from the peace of Christ ruling in your hearts. Christ is your master in heaven. You are called to live like a good slave on earth, enjoying the results of his victory, trusting him as your Savior and Lord. Yes, 
Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus exalts you in his glory. Yes, Jesus is your master. Christians here, you are urged to live like a good slave for three reasons. Your master is not far away. Your master does not forget you. And you are not free from your master. As with wives and husbands and children and parents, this section for slaves is terse. Paul exhorted the slaves in a very brief fashion. He can do this because the life of Christians together supported those most vulnerable believers. And he can do this in brief fashion because the Colossians had already been well instructed by the ministry of Epaphras. Exhorted, supported, instructed. These are the three influences that you need to live like a good slave. So what is the basic exhortation? It's not complicated, but it is demanding. Three adverbs sum it up completely, sincerely, and heartily. That sums it up. How do you do this? Completely, sincerely, heartily. A slave does not have much choice about whether to obey. But there is a lot of choice about how to obey. This is why punishment had such a large role. The prudent way is obeying enough to avoid punishment. That's just self-interest. That seems above realistic criticism, doesn't it? But Paul's exhortation is more demanding. Completely, sincerely, heartily. Paul's quite clear. The slave does not work for his earthly master, but for the Lord Jesus. A Christian's life cannot be explained or navigated in terms of self-interest. For this reason, Paul exhorts slaves to obey in all things. Of course, Paul does not mean cooperation and manifest corruption and wickedness. But he does mean all the ordinary and unpleasant, unpleasant tasks that the master dictates. Obey completely, everything. But not only completely, as in all the items on the to-do list, Paul also exhorts slaves to sincerity. Eye service is not enough. A Christian slave's diligence must not ebb and flow with the master's scrutiny. Even what the master does not see, and even when the master isn't watching, the Christian slave must do his best work. Obey in all things, completely, and obey regardless of accountability, sincerely. These are high standards. Especially when disaster places you under the authority of a person who you only know because they purchased you. Resentment and defiance are sensible. But they are the opposite of work heartily as for the Lord. This is the fundamental exhortation. Put your whole heart into whatever work that disaster has made the business of your life. 
And when Christian slaves are exhorted by Paul, they are supported by the body of Christ. When your life is built out of the leftovers from a disaster, you need support. And the gospel among God's people is powerful. Roman slaves had no honor. They might be skilled professionals. There were slaves who worked the equivalent of what we would see as the head, account, the head accountant of a Fortune 500 company. They were valuable. They handled huge transactions. And they had no honor from anyone, anywhere. The word slave was the N-word and never offensive to anyone. In Christ, a slave's life becomes a display of Christ's victory. In the body of Christ, slaves are nurtured, as Paul says in 3.12, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. As part of Christ's body, slaves are built up again and again so they can work heartily as for the Lord. Their calling to live after disaster is neither futility nor impossibility. Even though none of you are slaves, you need to recognize the importance and influence of your life together as a congregation. Slaves and others living after disaster need what Paul calls you to in Colossians 3, 15 and 16. Hear it again. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now why don't you think for a moment because this exhortation to slaves is part of this paragraph. Wives and husbands, children, parents, slaves and masters. When Paul gives wives and children such brief, just, just more than four or five words, not, not quite, such brief exhortation, when he speaks that way to wives and children, why does he give such, so much ink to the submission of slaves. Why does the whole church hear the details that are given to slaves? Surely, Epaphras had instructed the slaves as carefully as other believers. If a wife is discouraged and struggling with submission, who might best be able to teach and admonish her? From whom might she pick up a convincing example of thanksgiving and confidence? Imagine a 12-year-old boy, ashamed because he drops all responsibility when his father goes out of town for business twice a month. 
He loves those three days. He hates it the night before he knows dad's coming back. He isn't being the man in the family like his father urged on him. His dad might get mad and berate him, or his dad might be gentle. But for this kid, repentance is slipping out of his hands again and again. Who might be able to help that kid find his way forward? Who would have familiarity with what that, that young, young Christian is called to? Imagine a Christian who suffers a disaster and resents all the commands that come with it. He doesn't fall into slavery, but he hates his life. Some of you have been there. Some of you know people who have been there. I've been there. Slaves are not just supported. Paul gives them as a model and calls them as a resource in the life of the church. The slaves are there for all of you so that you will understand the gospel and your calling. Paul's using this exhortation to slaves to remind all of you of the basic instruction for living the life of faith in Christ. What slaves are doing and why slaves are doing, this is the same for each of you. You may not be managing the tumble and confusion of a disaster, but the calling of faith is still the same. Christians here, you are urged to live like a good slave for three reasons. Your master is not far away. Your master does not forget you. And you're not free from your master. Some of you are suffering the concussion of being that reliable center point of some disaster. You wish you could walk away just Exit stage right. Your aged parent is bringing you necessities and decisions and once a week emergencies that feel like futility working its way towards impossibility. You may be divorced. Blameless doesn't change it. Blame keeps peeking around the corner anyway. Finances blasted. Plans destroyed. Your children. Your desire for companionship. You didn't sign up for this obstacle course. Your growth in godliness, your love of the Lord Jesus, your commitment to faithfulness, that might get you fired. That might even get you blackballed. Pandemic, lockdown, inflation, supply chains, this might scuttle your good plans. That is not what you have worked so hard and so long for. What is the truth that can wither the defiance and resentment that bloom from your remaining sinfulness? Christians, here you are urged to live like a good slave because your master is not far away.
Your master does not forget you. You're not free from your master. You've heard the standard completely, sincerely, heartily. This is your calling. Jesus is victorious. His resurrection means that, yes, you can live righteously and mercifully and ambitiously. For the catechism we just confessed together. Really important. Your good works. They do not give you standing with the living God. They're not good enough. Oh, but those who are grafted into Christ, those who live out of gratitude for his forgiving love, you really do become like him. You really do good. I mean, it really is. His resurrection gives you that. God in his wisdom and sovereignty rules the disaster that that sin wrangles through the world. He calls you to be his servant. Yes. Like that odd term, bond slave. Servant's just a less stern synonym for slave. He calls on you as his slave, his son, his beloved. His slave honored above their station. He calls you to obey him and participate in his glory on the earth. He is answering your prayer. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as in heaven. He has heard you. So here is the basic instruction that lifts up slaves and clears the minds of Christians in the midst of disasters. In ordinary life, and in extraordinary demands, this is the truth about Christ, your master in heaven. Christian here, you are urged to live like a good slave because your master is not far away. Our sin leans us towards eye service, just doing what is necessary to keep things from falling apart. And your Lord is ever at your elbow. His spirit is with you. He does not leave you alone with his calling. As Paul says in Philippians 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Yes, obedience is a struggle with frustration, disappointment, and a struggle with sin and folly. You are called to enjoy, to rely on, the presence and work of your Savior. Instead of eye service, your calling is Savior service because you set your mind on his victory over sin for you. Him. This is how completely and sincerely become beautiful goals instead of nagging accusations. Christian here, you are urged to live like a good slave because your master does not forget you. Slavery holds no promise for the future. Every day's work is just profit for the master. Roman law even denied slaves the generosity of others. By law, slaves could not receive an inheritance. Like the Colossians, each of you has this encouragement. 
From the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Not a reward of merit, as the catechism says, but a gift of grace. He will not forget your labor. Your juggling of disaster and your stitching together of broken things into obedience, the Lord will remember. Your life may be so far from your plans. Your neighbors and your aspirations may mock what you accomplish, but the Lord Jesus will not. He will not forget he will reward. Your obedience matters to the Lord Jesus. You were right to tolerate frustration and deflection, knowing that the Lord Jesus will remember. You are a slave, only doing your duty. But you should look forward to his reward to you. Live like a good slave. Because your master in heaven is better than good. And he remembers you. Lastly, Christian here, you are urged to live like a good slave because you are not free from your master. Slavery is the outcome of disaster. War or parents or poverty. When life falls apart, the haunting question is always, okay, what next? For a slave, the basic question was, who is going to purchase me? What kind of master do I have? Or more bluntly, what kind of master has me? What's life like in his household? How does he clothe his people? How does he feed them? How does he train them? How does he react when they fail? What will my master do with my disaster? The Lord Jesus is the master in heaven who rescues you from slavery to sin and delivers you from the disaster of your own heart. What does it mean to trust in the master as your savior? This actually appears in the Mosaic laws about slavery. This is Deuteronomy 15. God's commands about slavery are so gracious that he has to give rules for when slavery becomes desirable. I know, that's a 21st century American heresy. But the gospel is better than all our best ideals and has the advantage of being truth. Not just truth. Truth that can instruct liars. Listen, Deuteronomy 15. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years, and in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free, he shall, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, out of your wine press. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore I command you this today. But if he says to you, I will not go out from you because he loves you in your household, since he is well off with you, then you shall take an owl and put it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your slave forever. You are not free from the Lord Jesus 
You don't have to make a household and a life and a world based on your own wit and ability and opportunity. You need to take this urging. The Lord Jesus calls you to serve him completely, sincerely, heartily, like a good slave. None of you have earthly masters. There are people you feel pushed around by. There are difficulties. By faith in Christ, you have a master in heaven. If you've not trusted Christ, listen. He can be your master. Then the disaster is not what the gospel gives. Disaster is not where the Lord Jesus leaves his people. You're called to live a life of obedience, completely, sincerely, and heartily. You will only do this as you fall in love with the master, in love with his household as you discover that you are well off with him, as you become convinced that to be his slave forever is to have the life and the dignity and the usefulness that your scrambling handling of disaster can never produce. Jesus does not crush his slaves. Jesus exalts his servants. Father, I ask that you would glorify your son. I ask that you would take this preaching and make it useful. That my brothers and sisters, out of your word, out of their company together, would gather the other pieces of scripture that will fit this just so into their hands. Lord, we ask that you would glorify your Son, that you would exalt us by his work, free from sin's dominion, to serve him completely, sincerely, and heartily. Pray in this.